listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. Happy Valentine's Day. Of all the topics we could talk about on Valentine's Day, we'll talk about pain and suffering. <laughs> it was not planned that way. Those of you that are watching online, uh, a good morning to you. We're glad that you're here. I can remember back to my first month uh, in pastoral ministry, serving, serving the Lord in that way. I was fresh out of college, serving at a little church in upstate New York. And uh, after I showed up, the senior pastor decided he's going to take some vacation. And so he went away for two weeks out of, out of the state, far, far away. And uh, I, that was the first time I sort of got to feel like what it was like to be in the, you know, be in the seat, if you will. And I can remember being in my office one day, never forget it. The secretary for the office came running in and she said, Dan, there's a serious, serious problem. So-and-so is on the phone. Uh, they need to talk to you. There's been an accident. And so I got on the phone and, and talked with this family and come to find out that their 19-year-old son who was working in roofing was working on a roof and fell off the roof and landed on his head and was immediately rushed to University Hospital in Syracuse, New York. Now, <laughs> I'm like, really, God? Month number one? <laughs> I, and I'm driving on the way there and I... Lots of things are going through your mind. What do, what do you say? What words do you have? You know, what, what kind of questions are going to come up? All, all of that. I mean, I ran, I ran the gamut of all of it and realized I, I really didn't have, I didn't know much of what to say. But I remember showing up, getting to the floor and walking into that room and the family was there and the mom just came and she threw her arms around me, of course, weeping because at that point in the game, it was pretty touch and go. They did not know uh, what was going to happen and uh, his brain had swelled considerably, and there were some different options that they were considering. And then came the question that sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. Dan, where is God in all of this? You know, if we're honest, we will go through situations in our lives it may not be that. It could be a financial situation where something didn't turn out how we thought it ought to go or it could be a job situation. You've been at that job for a decade, two decades, three decades and all of a sudden things have changed. It could be a relationship thing. You, know, you could be in that relationship. It could be a marriage that did not go the way you thought it ought to go. It could be a health situation. You go to the doctor for that normal routine checkup or something's bothering you and the doctor uses words that you never thought you'd be on the other side of. I heard a quote, somebody said, if you haven't suffered, just live longer. <laughs> and there's some truth to that because the longer you live, you and I are going to go through situations where there is pain and suffering. We all do. Now, here's what we're not going to do today. We're not going to solve the issue of pain and suffering. There's just no way because your stories are different. Your situations are different. The dynamics and circumstances are different. But what I would like to do today is simply shine some light on that and give you something that you can hold on to that will give you hope in the middle of it or at least some perspective when you're walking through it with somebody. 
We're not going to minimize pain and suffering and, and give you cliche answers like, well, all you need to do is trust more or all you need to do is pray more. I'm not a big fan of the Where's Waldo version of finding God. We're not going to tell you that your situation will get better if you have enough faith. That's simply not how God works. And although we may not be able to figure it out enough to make perfect sense of it, I do want you to walk away knowing that with absolute confidence that God is aware of what you're going through. He's absolutely aware. And he'll, he'll do something in it and through it. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, I feel like I've been talking about him a lot the last few weeks in this series we're in called Big Questions, but he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain, and he said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Very simply put, I've heard this phrase, There's, there are no atheists in foxholes. It's in those moments that we're at the end of ourselves that we say, God, what is going on? What are you doing? I like how Elizabeth Kubler-Ross put it. She said, the most beautiful people in the world are those who've known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, sensitivity, and understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. And I love this line. Beautiful people do not just happen. See, God understands our disappointment. He understands our suffering, our pain, our fear, our doubt. Charles Stanley, great pastor of our time in his 80s now, he writes, God is always there to encourage our hearts, to help us understand that he's sufficient for all of our needs. He writes, when I accepted that as an absolute truth in my life, I found that my worry stopped Helen Keller, maybe another name you recognize, put it like this, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Yes, we see a lot of things around us that we wish were different, but if we'll look, we will also find hope. We'll find people overcoming, standing in the gap. I want to take you this morning to a character in the Old Testament of the Bible. That's the first half, if you will. And it's a guy by the name of Job. And Job was no stranger to suffering. Uh, you, can, you can find that, his book in the Old Testament and, and read it, and you'll sort of shake your head and go, wow. I mean, how much can one person go through? Just a fun little fact for those of you that fancy yourselves to the Bible and, and understanding that. If we were to put the books of the Bible in chronological order, uh, as to when they were written, Genesis would not be the first. Job would be the first. I think it's ironic when you think of it like that, that God would take the book of pain and suffering, kind of reality central, and put it first. As if to say, just so that you know, life's not going to always be easy. And so here's his story. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. 
and they would send and invite three, their sisters to eat and to drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt sacrifices according to the number of them all. In other words, Joel's kids partied hard, or Job's kids partied hard. And so he would go and put, make some sacrifices on their behalfs. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? I mean, come on. You've put a, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him don't stretch out your hand. In other words, you can have whatever you want. Just don't touch him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Blow number one. While he was yet speaking, then came another and said, The fire of God from heaven fell and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Blow number two. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them, struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating. And drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, now it's about to become really personal. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they're gone. And I have alone escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. It would be so easy right now, in this pivotal moment, for Job to say, God, why? Why? You... It seems that you've taken everything. Why? My kids, all my livestock, my livelihood, all, why? But he, he does not do that. Does he anguish? Yes. Does he grieve? Yes. Is there profound sadness? Yes. But we learn a really important lesson in this idea of pain and suffering. And, and the first thing is this. The greatest challenge in suffering is the transition from why me to what now. Now, maybe you have to give yourself some permission 
for a few minutes to have the why me moment, but you cannot stay there because the problem with the why me is there's never an answer that's good enough. There's never an answer that fully suffices. So we've got to shift from why me to what now? Well, let me offer you some thoughts to reframe what our view of suffering, what it is and what it isn't. And this is important, okay? Sometimes people suffer because of self-inflicted misery. Humans have long been their own worst enemies at times, Amen. And and at times, we can be self-destructive if we're not careful. I mean, Adam should not have eaten the fruit. Jonah should not have avoided God. David spent just a few too many minutes staring off at the roof next door at the beautiful woman that was not his wife bathing. And there are consequences to human decisions. Sometimes people suffer at the sins of others, which God would never cause, endorse, or inflate. It's totally contrary to his nature. Bathsheba was the woman on the other roof. Her husband was murdered. She got entangled in this whole thing. Because who you don't disobey the king. Daniel got thrown into a lion's den at the sins of others who set him up. Sometimes people suffer through, through no human fault at all. The best of God's saints had their dark nights of the soul. This is not an indicator that God's not happy with you. Life is simply hard sometimes. And Jesus said it like this. In this world, you will have trouble. Sometimes people suffer because people get sick and enter into eternity. This happens to every person, family, and community on earth. Very simply said, nobody gets off the planet alive. There's zero immunity from death. Even Jesus, he wept salty human tears of death and the grief of death when he lost people closest to him. Sometimes people suffer because we live on a physical earth involving tornadoes and earthquakes and wildfires and tsunamis. Natural disasters are a part of any living, shifting, fluctuating planet. Sometimes people suffer because we have a vicious enemy who attacks us and who hates us. And that's the enemy, the devil. And he's out to steal, kill, and destroy everything that is redemptive and beautiful in your life. But let me just give you a quick aha moment. In the end, he does not win. He does not win. Jesus won the victory at the cross and in the empty tomb. Three key truths I want you to know. This is important. Your suffering is not God's judgment. Anybody who preaches that or teaches that, you ought to dismiss it. It's bad theology. Sometimes spiritual answers may not be found. The last thing that that mother wanted me to say when I walked into that hospital room and hugged her was, it's okay, God is good. That's not what she needed to hear. Is it true? Yes, God is good. That's not what she needed to hear in that moment. Because grief is not always neat and tidy. Even for Christians. It's just not how life works. But here is what I want you, I want you to see. Suffering invites you and I to be radically human with each other. Let me go back for a minute. 
because I, I, I want to just push on something a little bit. I want you to be very careful. If, you've, if you are a Christian and you've walked with God for a while, be very careful of giving people this answer when they're going through pain and suffering. Well, God is in control. The problem with that is it's woefully incomplete. In fact, there are a lot of, a lot of root causes of suffering that are completely incompatible with the character of God. Things that he, he neither started or set into motion. Is he aware of all things? Yes. There's nothing that God is not aware of. But we have to be careful that we don't suggest that God's behind it all. Really, really important. So suffering invites us to be radically human with one another. What does that look like? What does it look like when you're going through suffering or through painful situation or, or I am? What does it mean to be radically human? It, it means that I can reach across the table and I can hold your hand. I may even weep with you for what you're going through. And don't attempt to give people quick answers, if any. Believe it or not, sometimes just being present by being with somebody without having an answer is enough. We're afforded the chance during suffering and pain to create a safe place for someone to mourn. Nothing is needed but space, proximity, presence, and if you can have it within you, empathy to feel what someone else is feeling. Sometimes you can't give an answer. So don't try. Jen Hatmaker, another one of my favorite authors, put it like this. Grief cannot be sidestepped. It must be endured. So may we be a people who endure with one another rather than constantly mitigating, explaining, propping up. Listen to this. If you don't remember anything else I say today. Let's just hold one another through the dark nights of the soul and wait for the sun to rise. See, here's what we know about suffering and here's what we ought to cling to. God is impossibly loving and he loves us, he loves our families, he loves creation and a day is coming when God will restore all things. All history points to a God who makes sad things right. You know, if you were to, if you were to continue that book of Job and read it all the way through, you know what you would find? God brought him back the cattle, brought him back the livestock, brought him back, in fact, double and triple portions of what he had. Now we might read it and go, well, what about the kids? He didn't bring them back. That's because he didn't take them permanently. Job knew that a day would come when he would take his last breath and you know he'd be reunited in the presence of God and you know who would be waiting for him there? His children. British church leader Gavin Reed tells about meeting a young man who had fallen down a flight of stairs as a baby and shattered his back. He had been in and out of hospitals his whole life and yet he made the astonishing comment that he believed that God is fair. Reed asked him, how old are you? The boy said, 17. Reed asked, how many years have you spent in hospitals? The boy said, 13 years. The pastor said with astonishment, and you think that's fair? And the boy looked up at Reed and said, it's okay. God has all of eternity to make it up to me. And he will. And he will. 
God promises a time when there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, that we will be reunited with him for eternity. In fact, in the New Testament, the second half of the writer of, of the Bible, the writer puts it like this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, God is very much paying attention. He's on the move, healing and transforming. He can do this. This is what he does. And there's nothing too broken that God cannot mend it and redeem it. Really, nothing. Lee Strobel, one of my other favorite authors, was an atheist turned Christian. And he writes this, but if God is not the author of tragedy or evil or death, where'd they come from? Well, God's existed from eternity past as Father, Son, and Spirit together in a relationship of perfect love. So love is the highest form or the highest value of the universe. When God decided to create human beings, he wanted us to experience love. But to give us the ability to love God had to give us the free will to decide whether or not to love or not to love. Why? Because love always involves a choice. How many married people do we have in the room or somebody you're dating? What would happen if you, you, you realized one day that the person that you were married to or, or dating or whatever, they had no choice but to love you? Would it have the meaning that it has you see, for me, part of the joy is knowing that of all, out of all of the people that my wife could have chosen or could choose, she chooses me. Now, I, why wouldn't you with a specimen like this? But anyway. <laughs> right? Because we, we, think that, we think that the physical act of intimacy breeds romance. It doesn't. Exclusivity breeds intimacy. That of all of the people that she could choose, she chooses me. And that's a choice that she's given. He goes on, he says, when my daughter was little, she had a doll with a string on the back. And when you pulled it, the doll said, I love you. I love you. Did that doll love my daughter? Of course not. It was programmed to say those words. Real love always involves a choice. So in order to, for us to experience love, God bestowed upon us free will. The problem with free will is humans, since the beginning have at times used that for things outside of the will of God. And that's resulted in the introduction of pain and sorrow into the world. People ask, well, couldn't God have foreseen all that? Of course he did. But look at it this way. How many parents are there in the room? How many of you knew, how many of you knew that you were going to bring your children into a world where they potentially could experience pain and suffering. But you did it anyway. And I did it too. Why? Because I also know there's the potential for tremendous joy and deep love and great meaning. That's what God did. It's why I love when I say to my boys, I love being your dad. And they look at me and respond back and say, and I love being your son. God knew we would take things in our own hands, do things our own way, and yet continuously pursues us 
and pursues us. Corrie Ten Boom found herself in a Nazi death camp in World War II, praying and having Bible studies in the bunkhouse, wondering if they would live another day. And she writes these words, no matter how deep our darkness, God is deeper still. Every tear that we shed becomes his tear. So what do we do? What are you and I uniquely positioned to do? See, it's not our job to explain why. We're family. We circle the wagons. We make casseroles. By the way, TBC, some of you all know how to cook really well. We... We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. Community is essential. It's essential. See, we may never get a why, but we know the how. And the how is, say it, together. It's saying, I may not have answers for you. I may not be able to explain why. I may not be able to give you all the details, but here's what I can commit to you. I will hold your hand and I will walk through it with you. That's the power of community. That's the power of community. So I want to invite you today to move from why to what now and to make some decisions in your life. You have three clear options when it comes to pain and suffering. You can be the one whose arms are open for someone to run into. You can say, God, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear when people are hurting, when they're down, and when they're in trouble. And I may not have answers, but I'll simply go and be with them. You may need to be the one who's running into the arms of somebody else. Some of you today may be carrying something that is too much for you to carry by yourself and God has put people in your path to bear that burden with you, to carry it with you. Simply decide to be Jesus to somebody else. Laugh with them, cry with them, hold them and be present. I didn't say this in the first service but I have to say it to you because I think it's important. Our, Our smartphones have not made us any smarter what they have done is they have stolen from us opportunities to be present in people's lives because we're so busy looking down. Guilty is charged. I'm preaching to the choir. You may not know why, but you can know the what now. You know, I, I often will hear people use this phrase, and I, I, I just need to correct this one because I can today. I hear people say, well, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Can I just correct two things there? First of all, God did not give you your pain and your suffering. Some of it's a result of all the things that we mentioned earlier on. Somebody else made choices. The world that we live in is broken But be very careful of of, of that phrase. And the second thing is, you know what? You ask anybody who's been through pain, through sorrow, through tragedy, and they will tell you that it was often more than they could bear. But I've learned something in my life, in my short 45 years, and walking with God for lots of those. 
When everything's going the way I want it to go, according to plan, every I is dotted and every T is crossed and everything lines up, do you know what I'm naturally bent to do? Not need God. It's only when he brings me to the end of myself, when it's more than I can handle, that I say, God, I need you in these moments. And then I find my community. This is why we're unrelenting week after week after week about pushing this thing called tribes, groups of two or more people that get together and do life together, share life with one another, pray for each other, at times identify with what we're going through. The greatest decision that you could make today if you're not in a tribe is to, when you leave this space to go out into that lobby, stop by the next steps area and say, tell me more. I need to connect. We want to walk with you. I want to acknowledge that some of you have been through pain and suffering that I could not possibly wrap my head around. I have a colleague who several years ago, very, very close to Christmas, his daughter, I think at age eight, had battled with asthma her whole life. And on this particular day, she had an asthma attack and they could not do what needed to be done. And he held her as her life slipped away. God met him in those moments and in the days that followed and he wrote a book called Through the Eyes of a Lion. I know that there's some of you sitting here and you've been through pain and suffering that I could not possibly begin to understand and you want, you want to go dig, dig deeper on this. You go out to the bookstore as you leave today and let them know you want a copy of that book Through the Eyes of a Lion. We've got a bunch of them coming. Amazon delayed it because of the weather. <laughs> so we couldn't have him today, but I want to put a copy of that book in your hands if you want to get one. I think you'll find maybe some hope and some answers for the journey ahead. That guy I was talking about in the beginning returned back to church four months later. I remember the day that he showed up and I hugged him and he said, would you mind if I said something to the church today and I said of course not and he got up and he said never have I felt so much love from people it carried me along and it helped me heal and this is what he said through it all and through all of you I knew that God had never left my side Why does God allow pain and suffering? So that you and I have the opportunity to demonstrate that love always wins. Love always wins and we are better together. We're better in community. Amen. Today, I'm going to invite you to participate in communion. Isn't it ironic 
that through one man's pain and suffering, you and I have been given the gift of life. Jesus is there in the lowest places of our lives. Are you broken? He was broken, like bread. On that last day before he would endure the beating and the cross, he got his disciples together and he broke bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He was despised and rejected by men. Do you cry out that you can't take anymore? He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Remember his prayer. Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Has someone betrayed you? He was sold out. Are your most tender relationships broken? He loved and he was rejected. Did people turn from you or turn on you? The scripture says they they hid their faces from him as if he was a leper. And by the way, the Bible also teaches that he descended into hell. And God will descend into your hells and hold your hand and walk with you. He invites you to his table today where his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness are being poured out. Or somebody said on Thursdays we were getting started, this is the meal that heals because God is here and he's inviting you. I know that some of you may be new to all of this. You're just sort of checking out this whole church thing and this God thing. Please feel no pressure whatsoever to participate. But if you're here today and you want to, we invite you, we invite you to come. We're gonna sing in just a minute. And as we do, I'm just gonna invite you to get out of your seats. There's four tables set up. You can take this little cup and the bread is in the bottom of it. Take it back to your seat. And as you feel ready, partake together, eat eat it. I'm not gonna give you any instruction with regard to that. So whenever you're ready and then join us as we sing and I'll come back in a few minutes and share a few final things with you and give you a blessing. We'll be on our way. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning, for your faithfulness in our lives. We love you so, so much. Meet us here, God. Meet us in these simple elements of bread and juice. Pour out your spirit. Be present here, God, with us today. We know that you are, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.